0: known fact about my guest today. When she and co-star Brian Cranston found themselves on a runaway hit sitcom, Malcolm in the Middle, they took their experiences as having been guest stars on previous shows and remembered what it was like to not feel quite a part of things and made sure that every guest on their sitcom would never feel that way. And one of the sweet things they did is make sure that every guest star had a special Malcolm in the Middle hat that they made just for them, only for the guest stars, and that it would feel like a family whether you were there for a day or for seven years. Welcome the extraordinary Jane Kaczmarek to the podcast. A-OK! Hey, everybody. My guest today is Jane Kasmarek. Jane is an award-winning actress with many, many film and television credits to her name, but she's probably best known for her role as Lois, the matriarch on the long-running sitcom Malcolm in the Middle. She has an illustrious theater career on Broadway, off-Broadway, and all around the globe, starring in plays like Lost in Yonkers, Our Town, Long Day's Journey, and Tonight, Dinner with Friends, House of Blue Leaves, Death of a Salesman, and many, many others. She's the founder of the organization Clothes Off Our Back an online auction that has raised millions of dollars for children charities by selling fashion worn on red carpets by celebrities. She has three incredible kids. She's one of my oldest friends. And wow. I am so, so honored to have the extraordinary Jane Kaczmarek on the show today. <laughs> Hello, my friends.
1: Oh, my God, Alana, this is so wonderful just to see you to catch up. It's I mean, which is I find really the case with theater is what happens to people when they work on a play yeah. is indelible. Yeah. You know, I think about so much of the work I've done on TV and everything, but you know, you know, have a good time when you're working and those people are nice, but the experiences of working on a show, especially some of well, the summer theater working with George Walker on those play, that play was, um, you know, you're in the trenches. I remember asking Max at one point, um, Max Mayer who directed it, um, we don't have to memorize all these lines. We had two weeks. And I thought we've, we were at professional act. I mean, we had, we'd worked, but I thought I can't, I can't possibly memorize this in two weeks. And you know what? You can. And we did. we did. And you think, I mean, the sheer accomplishment of being a young person, a younger person, and knowing that you just have to figure out a way to do this and it's up to you and go. And the fact that we were all in that together, and well, and you were you were uh, you were um, the uh, beloved of our director, so you had kind of a complicated. I, I don't know. I would think because you were not only an actress who was directing, but you were also uh, going home together after rehearsals or going to the dorm together after rehearsals, you know. And that was had to be just another layer of um, just another layer. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think. I think back to that time. First of all, summer theater is the greatest; it just is. You are suddenly in camp with all of these people uh, that, after work, are with you too. Because there's nowhere else to go. There's, there's, there's like the one about, little bar in town. The beach, the beach nut,
1: the beach wood. the peach beach <laughs> tree, right? whatever it was. Yes, and, the beach. Yeah, yeah. It, we were really cloistered there. Yeah, and it yeah. was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I, I I remember other people there. The, the I, maybe it was the next summer or another summer was um, um, a Steve Martin play I did up there called Wasp, and it was a lot of the Vassar kids, the students who were the apprentices and moving the sets and stuff. And it was this guy Josh Radner, who was just this young and you know you get out and you're like, is that the Josh Radner that was moving sets with me? <laughs> Yeah. That's the Josh Radner. Yeah. You know, know, there's so many people you meet up there. um, I remember when,
0: when Steve Martin was there that summer, I was doing a different play and and we were all there again. And I remember being at the beach nut pit peach tree saloon. And I thought I'm sitting across from Steve Martin. That's Steve Martin. And I remember being (laughs) so struck. He was so nice, but he was super shy. Oh. Super shy. And it was oh. my first understanding of that, like
1: who someone's That's persona
0: something. is on stage and who they are at a
1: dinner. It, I couldn't. Well, and yeah. also, Ilana, he wasn't of the theater. Right. Most, most theater people we knew were theater. You know, we were um, big personalities. He was kind of making this foray, uh, instead of being a comedian or a film, you know, into being a writer. Yeah. In theater. I remember being so surprised because he brought, he had a little uh, laptop. And again, this was the mid early nineties, mid nineties. So, and during rehearsal, and I thought, what is he doing? You sit and you watch rehearsal or what we were used to with other playwrights is they're taking notes with pencils. Yeah. On a yellow legal pad. Right. Yeah. But you're not, taking notes on this clickety clickety it was very quiet but it was still it was like having an, an uh another person in the room who what was that he i also made the grave error of um <laughs> we did in java school we did something called the complete works of t.s Eliot, and it was in an hour we did the cabaret at the west bank and it was basically uh, going through all the T.S. Eliot poems and just acting out one line or a famous part of it. And it was f- very funny. We thought it was very funny. Um, all I know about T.S. Eliot is like the one line that we did from these plays. So there was this part in the um, play that, end, in Steve Martin's play that ended da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, Steve, this is, this is kind of amazing because it that part really reminds me of the end of the wasteland, you know, Shanti, T.S. Eliot's wasteland, Shanti, 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 and he said, oh my God, that's that's exactly what I'm, I'm going for there. And I realized, now he thinks I know something. <laughs> you know? I was just kind of trying to show off. I was <laughs> like, I don't know anything about T.S. Eliot. Don't ask me any more questions. Yeah, is it time for our five minute break? Yeah. And I would find he would, I probably was Peter Fouchette was in um, Rob Campbell, but I would find he would kind of come over and he was a shy guy and it was just, I don't have anything to say. And I remember making a pact with Catherine Kellner, maybe Joshua, some of the other people there in that place saying, if you ever, let's make a pact among us ourselves if Steve Martin ever starts talking to one of us, someone else has to come in to be a third just because it's more comfortable with three people. It's like, okay, okay. Well, wow. <laughs> I saw him. I was walking down uh, the uh, cafe des artistes in New York, and he was there with his wife and his daughter. And I thought, I'm sure he gets bombarded all this, but anyway, I just passed. I said, uh, Steve, it's Jane Kozmerik from Wasp at uh, New York Station Film. I just wanted to say hello, and he goes, "Oh, hi, hi, hi!" You know, and I was like, and I just kept walking, and his wife turns him and says, "Well, that was nice." And I thought, it, I, I just assumed he'd be bombarded wherever he went with people annoying him, but I, I don't know. But it made me happy that he remembered Wasp and. Um, I up love that his
0: station. wife says, well, that was well, nice. that was nice. Look at that. <laughs> you <are> somebody. Steve?
1: <laughs> right? People, people do love you. <laughs> You're doing great. Isn't that wonderful when this stuff happens? Because you just realize everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's nuts.
0: Everybody's nuts. Everybody's nuts. Um, all right. Well, I want to go back a little bit because I got to meet you at such a, like, perfect moment of us just getting to do what we love, starting to have professionals see us and get excited to have us say their words out loud, but sort of pre-everyone going to LA, either because they're testing for something or because, I mean, the biggest exciting thing was at the time Alex Gersten, you know, had a boyfriend with an airplane. Our minds were blown. I mean, the idea- Do remember
1: Max saying, this is a, this is a relationship about transportation because- (laughs)
0: To get yeah. to Poughkeepsie in
1: 20 minutes,
0: that's worth it. Marry like, him.
1: You know, we're like, maybe I can take the Amtrak up. and But who, during who would go home every night? We'd go back to the dorm and then the Beechnut nut tree or what? whatever it was. He'd pick her up in his airplane yeah. and fly her back to New York and bring her back to Poughkeepsie. And Amazing. she was always late, which, yeah. I, 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 you know, but you'd always hear her. She'd always were mules, remember? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There was turbulence above you know, West.
0: You're like, that's right. So sleep with us in the dorms. Well, they ended up having an incredible marriage, but it was an innocent time. It's so long ago now, but I remember just the feeling of, A, I was the director's girlfriend and everyone would have had every right to be skeptical at the oh. time. Before they met me, if yeah. they'd wanted to, yeah. but but I always felt like, my God, you and Alex and the whole cast were so welcoming. And I really, to this day, you know, we were talking before we started recording that Jane signed her email to me in, in the name of Elizabeth, which was her character's name in this play we did. And she played my, my big sister. And there really was this feeling. I feel that right now, like I'm talking to a sister. We all... Felt like a family so quickly, and I felt so taken care of. And I don't know, I just thank you. Thank you for making oh. me feel so included in that experience and like I belonged to be there because you treated me like I belonged there. I became someone who belonged there. Well, I didn't apologize, I took risks, and you have to feel like you belong well, to make yeah, mistakes. It's
1: safe to do that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know I, you're so welcome and I I know when um when we were doing Malcolm um I was in my early 40s I you know I'd worked um but I Brian Kernson and I both knew exactly what it felt like to be the new the guest star on a show um and how you were I mean you were less than invisible you know because you were so aware you were sitting in your chair and nobody was talking to her at lunch should I just go back to my honey wagon or, you know, and Brian and I, because we had experienced that, um, made it a point that we do, would do a read-through. We always went and introduced ourselves to the guest stars. We always made a point when you we were sitting around to sit next to somebody, to talk somebody up. And we had hats made, Malcolm in the Middle hats. And everyone who was a guest star got that hat and no one else got those hats. It was for our guest stars alone. And I think it was because we had... We knew what that feeling was, you know? And um, I think, I mean, I just think of things in, in it's funny where that stuff comes from. I, I had moved to another school in, um, we, we moved when I was in seventh grade and I went to a new school um, and it was a public school and I'd always been in Catholic schools. And I just, nobody was interested in me knowing me, nobody was interested in, they'd been together for, by seventh grade, they were all together and um, eating alone at lunch and crying every day. And when I would come home and my mother said, would you like to switch to the Catholic school, which was a much smaller school in this new community? And I said, yes. And at first day, I'm not saying, I'm not casting aspersions on public school versus parochial schools. It was just that it was a smaller class. And this teacher said, "Um, um, also, At the public school, you changed all your classes. At the Catholic school, it was still, you were in one class with a group. One pod of kids from, you know, from class to class. And I will never forget that feeling of being um, welcomed. But there was one girl at the public school named Jill Jensen. And um, she was the only person who ever came over to sit with me during lunch. And I think you remember that. I I remember that so well, that... um, you know, seeing anybody who's n- new, seeing any situation where somebody looks uncomfortable. I'm such a chatterbox now, but it's, um, it pain, it, it just, it, it, it causes you, it, you know, it's just so hard to think about how scared and lonely people are. And we all, I mean, we all are. When I was doing Lost in Yonkers, you know, that girl was kind of a, a lonely person. And I remember just driving, taking the subway to the theater every day. And I would look on the subway for one person and think, that's it. That's who she is tonight. And just because you'd see people who were, you see, so I mean, you just saw humanity on the subway, you know, and just kind of think, okay, let's just kind of carry this spirit into the awkwardness or the loneliness of that person today. And um,
0: can I tell you a Lost in Yonkers story about Neil Simon and you? What I I uh, (laughs) no, no, I, I mean, I knew Neil a little bit because I had done Jake's Women. Oh, I found right. So I, I, of course, came to see you and got to reunite with sweet Bruno Kirby and and what an amazing time that was. And I found myself for some reason shortly thereafter at a dinner and Neil was there. And I told him that I just seen the play again and just how I'd seen the original cast and how extraordinary it was to see it again. And I just, I loved that play. I thought it was really special. And he said, I have to tell you something. And I said, he said, I said, okay, Neil, you tell me something. And he said, I usually have a really hard time with replacements I usually can't get over whatever the original he's like, but you know, with Jane, that's just not true. And it was such an incredible thing because Mercedes had, you know, opened the show and there was so much about her in it. And and, I I can't believe this. And he said, with the exception of Jane Kaczmarek,
1: I was sure that you knew that or that that had been trans. Oh my gosh! Um, Okay, this is this is why uh, this is amazing because he came. You know, when you're a replacement, you work with all the uh, understudies, and then you put in rehearsal and you go in. Yeah, and the stage manager
0: is your director usually, right?
1: Right. And I asked the stage man, Peter. What was his last name? He was so wonderful, Peter Lawrence. Um, And I said, "Is my accent?" Because. I didn't have diet, You know, I was just kind of weighing in. No, you have one minute to do right. the part. Yeah. And uh, he said, it's fine. It's fine. And I, Neil came to my dressing room after the first night or second night and said, what are you doing to my play? What are you doing to my play? You're ruining the play. I said, what, 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 he goes, you know, you, 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 you got to beef up that accent. You got to beef up that accent. The humor is in the accent. It, that accent is a funny accent. But I said, well, I was I've been trying to make her um, more believable because she goes from being a really severely kind of retarded person into being a, a poet. And um, I, I've been trying to make it make her less doe in the beginning so it makes a little more sense by the end of the play. Well, that's not your no. And I remember walking. home and just saying, Oh my God, I'm gonna fight. And then hired a guy named Howard Samuelson, who was Brad had worked with. Was it at closet? G- who was a dialect coach, and just you know, everything started becoming more you know like uh, Jerry Lewis, um, but it was it was funny. I know, and I never saw him again. Well, he saw you again. He obviously oh
0: came again. Well, and that's was- what he told me, and he didn't have to say it. It's I- not.
1: You know what? This is this is amazing. You're telling me this, because for all these years, you know, you carry things around thinking this is this and this is that. And I know that Rosemary Harris came into it then too, and she said, "I'd like to suggest something, and let me let me hear what you think." She was playing Grandma credits, of course. She said, "Why don't we do the play?" As if we're actual human beings talking to each other. And I thought, oh my God, I love this woman. And since we were replacements, and you know, and we did. And David Richards of the New York Times re-reviewed it at Christmas time and said lovely, lovely things, basically that He believed it. He believed it. And I thought, but you know what, then Neil was getting the Mark Twain award at um, the, the, the um, Kennedy Center. And uh, I heard the lineup, you know, it had been, uh, um, what was that wonderful play that, it, it was one of his first, um, that Robert- Barefoot in the Park? Yes. Yeah. Robert Redford was there and Matthew Broderick was there and Nathan Knight and, and Mercedes Rue, I had heard this on the radio, and then I got a phone call and they said, would you come to do, and I guess, I don't know what happened. Mercedes decided not to go or to drop out or something, but I, want, I wanted to say, does Neil know you're asking me? Because I don't think Neil likes me. <laughs> I, I'm sure he knew. Yeah. And you know what? And it was one of the great, that just to walk out on the Kennedy center and he was sitting up in the, you know, where they look. Up in the box. Yeah. And uh, And it was when he was, you know, things were in the decline. Declining, yeah. But taking that train back to New York with Manny Eisenberg and talking about all that was just. Manny, sweet Manny, yeah, yeah. Can I tell you something? You telling me that, I want to tell that, I want everybody who ever hears this to keep this in mind about luggage, baggage they carry around with them for their lives. Which keeps them, um, uh, which is a drag on their confidence and self-esteem, because you have just proven that what I did with that all these years in keeping myself um, feeling bad was my doing, right. and even if and it should be let go, whether or not you bump into someone like you who tells me that that wasn't the truth. Right. And
0: also it just doesn't- Oh
1: my gosh.
0: We, we It all feels so precious at the time. It's all, you know, I think we're all trying to learn to just do the work, right? <laughs> like to just on any given day, do the best we can To work as hard as we can and and so you don't walk on stage or in front of the camera feeling like, oh, I should have prepared more because that's a horrible feeling, but sometimes you can prepare as much as you possibly humanly can and your scene partner isn't giving you anything or they're doing it, you know, in a crazy accent. You're like, wait, I, okay. (laughs) I mean, right, like there are so many unknowables. And uncontrollable things, and I say this for myself as well. It's like to for it's so hard to forgive yourself. Oh my god! Because what if what if you had done the wrong accent? Like, let's just say, okay, okay. Uh, uh, Let's uh, say you did. (laughs) It doesn't even matter. Let's say your worst, your worst nightmare about what a couple of performances in Lost in Yonkers were before you found your footing with two weeks of rehearsal, when you're a replacement in blocking that could not be less organic to <laughs> anything you would ever have done in a costume that sort of fits in, in with other people. It like, was all her costumes, which right, were like. <laughs> right, like nothing about it sets you up to for success. So you're already Sisyphus, right? In terms of the process I... when you replace anybody in any show, no matter how generous the company is or how willing everybody is to make it, you know, to make you feel welcome. So, you know, chances are it is going to suck for a while, (laughs) right? Because it's inauthentic. It's not yet, it's not possible to be authentic in, in shoes that don't quite fit. It just takes a minute. So the whole thing that Neil, the thing about Neil that I remember is his insecurity. So you're dealing with your insecurity and his insane, you're like, you're Neil Simon.
1: You're Doc, Doc Doc Simon. Simon." You're brought in to fix everything.
0: So the idea, I remember we were rehearsing Jake's (gasps) hand and a joke wasn't working right away. And he's like, cut it, cut it, it's terrible. And I remember us going, wait, it's not terrible. I I actually didn't even say how you wrote it yet. I'm kind of on book and off book and just give us one second. He's like, no, it's gone. Like his sense of, and not to punish us, but just he's like, if it's not working, it's because I'm a terrible writer. That's
1: right, and I shouldn't and, even be here. Well, and that as an actor, that's so TV. You oh, know, yeah,
0: it's so fast in your are it's like, so didn't yeah. work.
1: Cut it. It's like no, 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 no. As you said, yeah, I, it's often if you if you don't read the uh, the words and the the with the rhythm. Written, The joke won't work, but it's, as you said, it's you that you put the verb before the adjective. Just give me one second. I can try it. I can try it. Nope, it's gone. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that
0: because you became sort of, um, I mean, your body of work is so incredible. I thought who has gotten to do kind of the, like the bandwidth of the kinds of, uh, the wingspan, I need to say, the kinds of parts you've gotten to do from A to Z. But, you know, it's very exciting when someone you know and love is on a hit. It's just exciting and that happened to my friend Jane my friend Jane got cast in a sitcom with with another you know working actor named Brian Cranston and the two of you became household names in in, yeah. in in the world of sitcom it doesn't get bigger than this people dressed as Lois for Halloween do you know what I mean like it's a thing so oh my gosh and having a character that broke the fourth wall and sort yeah. of obviously it had happened in Ferris Bueller, it wasn't an invention out of thin right. air, but it was not something we had seen on a sitcom before. Yeah. Well, so how
1: did you get that job? Let's even know, just start with that. You know, I had, had, ta- I had taken time off. I, big fertility. I was old. My eggs were kind of lousy. And I just wanted a baby. Brad and I had been married for a couple. So we started, you know, fertility in earnest and which meant I, I pretty much stopped working and was just giving myself shots and it still wasn't working. And finally, my doctor said, have you considered taking a year off? No, she said, um, are you under any kind of stress? I said, I'm an actress in my forties during pilot season. <laughs> would, you consider, but I'm yeah. would you consider taking time off? And I said, Oh yes. I think one of the jobs I had before this was, I was doing an arc on Sybil. Mm-hmm. Um, Stress-free set. Oh, in a character, be careful when they offer you things. This, I, there was, I was so far from being what they, uh-huh. it was a terrible experience. Okay. And that set was so unhappy. I would go, I was reading a book on Simon Wiesenthal, the Nazi hunter, and I thought, I would rather go and read about Simon Beisenthal than mm-hmm. hang out at craft service. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? that's, that's how rough <laughs> it was. And so when she said, you know, um, taking, I thought, yes, I'm at that point. And I called the agents and said, don't. I don't wanna hear from you for a year. Then that gets scary because you come home, the answering machine, they didn't. They, they signed, believed you. Yeah. And I signed up for all these classes that I've always wanted to take or books to read that you never did because you thought, well, I might get a job and not be able to finish it. I signed up um, for UCLA extension classes um, on the history of Western music. I love classical music, Beethoven, Sonata form. And I entered this world of things I was so interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bible is literature, not the theology at all. Reading the Bible, as well, we know that the Book of Job was rewritten three times because when the Dead Sea Scrolls were figured out, they know that this word wasn't from. And your head's exploding. I'm thinking there's a whole world out there. Yeah. Full of these interesting things that have nothing to do with, you know, how what you look like when you walk into the room for. um, Also, all the people in those rooms, they didn't know you from. They, they don't, and I realized there's a fascinating world out there that has absolutely nothing to do with acting. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles, and tried a few more, you know, and had Francis got pregnant with Francis. Wow! So, um, and then we went back to we were living in the house in Connecticut. Brad was doing a play in New York, and um, so this is before the West Wing. Yes. Okay. This was, she was born in ninety seven. Okay. And I loved not working. I loved just being a mom, and. Um, I got a little part. It's so funny thinking back on this stuff because J.J. Abrams and Katie were friends through, and he was doing Felicity. Mm -hmm. And I loved watching Felicity. And he asked me to play a character for a couple of episodes. And I thought, this is perfect because um, Mm -hmm. it's a couple episodes. I loved Felicity. Uh, Todd Holland was directing it. Um, And so I I did that. I thought, this is all i want to do. And then got a call about, wanted to have another baby and thought I was going to have to do the same thing. Take a year off, you know, and get very quiet. Yeah. Get very quiet. You know, <laughs> read about the book of Job, Yeah. <laughs> and so it came along and I said, no, I didn't want to work. I want to have another baby. I don't want to do a pilot. I don't want to do it. And had an agent who was so uh, insistent. This is your part, this, hmm. you know, one of those agents. Um,
0: and when you read it, did you,
1: did you agree? Oh, I or thought did it was the funniest thing I'd ever okay, read. Okay. It was
0: on the page right away.
1: Yeah. And I knew Todd, Ta- I knew the director Todd Ta- from the Felicities I had done. Right. I thought this is a perfect combination, but I did think this will never get picked up because. Cause it's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> right? You know, it was 1999. You know, we did not have any of this quirky, wonderful comedy that has come since then right um it was Raymond everybody's you know the, it was a different kind of comedy that was really yeah. good and I just thought these things never gonna get picked up also it had been passed um it wasn't a uh well so I thought did I you know, have to do, audition for oh it? sure okay so you, you still know. had to yeah I didn't you know and I remember I don't know, I remember wearing like, wearing something stupid. You know how sometimes you think, okay, well I wore that to the first audition. So now, um, wear maybe this, but with different pants, just to say, oh yeah, don't think, I mean, I put on that same brown pants again. But I remember in this audition, um, standing up and- That's so scary. Yeah, but this character was so- you know, I was shaving, as you know, in this audition, shaving yeah. his back. You got over it, and did what you would do in a theater audition, mm-hmm. because that character really was very theatrical. Yeah. Um, and I remember being told afterwards, "You're the first person who stood up." Also, you were the only person who made her funny. I thought, "Are you? This is this character is hysterical." But then there was also talk that the. Lin- Linwood Boomer, who wrote it and was Malcolm, had a really hard time with his mother and he didn't mean her to be as <laughs> <That's> likable. <laughs> that was old But when I went to the, um, and this is what it was, because still there was this thing. So I had, um, before I auditioned, the agent said, they can't, they're looking at everybody, they can't find anybody. You, they have asked, I said, they asked specifically for me? They really like me. You still turn into that. Well, they really like me. Maybe I should. Yeah. Yeah. Even just to go in and be liked for an hour. Yeah. Forget the job. Just you know, let people like me. But it's because, I mean, I can talk about all this, oh, the Bible and Beethoven. But when it came down to it, it was like, well, they really like me. Well, maybe I'll go just Maybe I'll just have someone like me for, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well you were a baton twirler as a girl. You enjoyed I, shiny <laughs> things and people excited to see you.
1: Well and at the call at the um, at the network audition. Remember the, the te- yeah, 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 the final like test. Screen. Yeah. It was Pam Dauber from um, Mark and Mindy. Yeah. Jennifer Coolidge, who I was like, this girl Forget is it. a G- this girl, yeah. hands down. Yeah. Geez. Why are we even here? Yeah. It was and, the three of you? Yeah. And I didn't hear, usually you hear when you go home. I didn't hear anything. And the next morning, uh, and I thought, oh, fine. And the next morning, the agent called and said, why didn't you call me back? I left several messages last night. You got the part. And I was like, I did? Huh. Huh. Okay. I did. And know you're happy. But I said, what the hell happened to Jennifer Coolidge? Why didn't they cast her? <laughs> Did you and Brian have to do a chemistry read for them? No. Didn't then hear they didn't sta- Then they started looking for Hal. And okay. they wanted a big magilla of a guy with, you know, a, a guy like that. They had every guy like that. I mean, I'm suggesting. Da-da-da-da. Nope, couldn't find anybody. And the day before we started filming, or two days before, they, they said, you know what? just bring an average people, <laughs> just bring an average guys. And suddenly in walk, the regular guys, you know, uh, not tall or heavy. Um, so non-character actors. No, that's right. right. And um, the next day we started filming and this guy came on the set, Brian, and it was the day we were um, shaving his back in the pilot. He was, naked covered in yak hair that had been glued to his body in a little pouch covering we had a robe on you know little thing little merkin yeah (laughs) here are the kids you know hi i'm brian i mean we're like hi 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 and i thought if he could walk out here looking like that you know and that was it he had the part and um they also, they put a, remember, a, a piece of duct tape on his um, back with yak hair on it. So that when I was pretend shaving him, I could like pull some of the yak hair off the duct tape to throw as if I was really, because the shaver wouldn't get through the. <laughs> You're calling it yak hair. And that was, the, that was the beginning of
0: this. No, no yaks were <laughs> harmed they, during they the filming. It.
1: They, Malcolm in the bill. They needed a um, an insert shot of the ra- the clipper z- 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 going up the back of a hairy back, so that there'd be a shaven strip when they were cutting the scene together. What are we gonna do? Get the teamsters in here. <laughs> we, need a, we need a
0: runway, a hair runway.
1: Said, hey, "Who's got anybody got a hairy back?" I do. I do. I do. Put down your donut. <laughs> and the guys, and they decided, your back is the best. And I shaved this teamster's back for the insert shop. And he got $100. And uh, then he went back to eating donuts and moving the trucks. <laughs> Unbelievable. So you didn't know Brian before. So, and he just, oh my God, I love that guy. Um, he... He, he was such the heart of that show. You know, he, he never got, working with kids could be tricky. They work for such short amounts of time, uh, which meant we had to work many, much longer hours. Um, also, sitting around on a set, you know, you're sitting at rehearsals, you're talking to, it's different. Downtime on a, on a rehearsal is different than downtime on a TV show because it can be hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And I remember Brian saying, you know, I always bring a lot to do with me for the day. I bring in paperwork so that that time, instead of stewing and getting pissed off, because I mean, I at this time have kids at home that I want to abuse. <laughs> <laughs> you want to abuse, not just my TV kids. You have real kids at home to yell to at. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was like, what a what a great way of looking at this. He on that set. He so he means- taught you how to use your downtime. He was just such a good influence Mm. on me, on those kids. He knew the lyrics to every song. He was always singing. He'd make up little spoofs of things. When things were getting late or tired, he would start some crazy little, the guy is, uh, he was really, really something. Um, uh, Dewey, the kid who played Dewey, Eric, was an only child from boston his mother had moved out with him and they were living in the oakwood apartments you know mm, sure. for seven years ryan had a daughter named taylor who was about eric's age dewey and he often would say to the mom uh Ann, why don't you go see fred back in boston for the weekend eric can stay with the, for us for the weekend you know taylor and eric could play and um I would say I mean I like those TV kids as much as anybody, but I'm not going to bring them home for the weekend. (laughs) You know, and Brian—that's his heart. He said, you know, he he was an only child, plus living in the Oakwoods, and he said we'd make pancakes on Saturday one weekend. They wanted a dog. Taylor wanted a dog, and they went to the pound, and Eric came with them to choose out the dog. And what a gift to that kid! Um, he did your
0: kids come to set what's their relationship to their parents work
1: I did not they came on occasion I didn't I didn't want them to get into this idea of how fun and groovy it is to be on a tv show you know I um (laughs) why they probably because I didn't want them to say, Mom, I want to be an actor at nine years old and not pay attention to what kids are supposed to be doing. Right. Um, but I do remember that I would, um, oh, God. There was so much junk. You know, that set was nothing but um, stuff. Stuff from goodwill. And But when you'd stand there and they'd be lighting, I remember, oh, God, so you know, Francis's birthday's coming up. Okay, what can I take home from here? Um, oh, yeah, she's taking French in second grade. French verbs, something and wrap stuff up, and you know, kids are just like, oh, great, great, great. Well, within a week, they're not looking at anymore. They just bring it back to you the would set. Steal props
0: from the Malcolm in the Middle set and give them as Christmas presents to your oh. children, and then put them back.
1: Also, we were like, here's cereal. You want cold cereal? Here's like. Gruel, no, you know, you'd have Cheerios and stuff like that. But um, I would take craft service. I always had the little boxes of Lucky Charms and, you know.
0: Vacation cereal, we call it in our house. Yeah.
1: And that would, I would put that in their stockings on Christmas. And they were like,
0: oh, color, colors. Mom, (laughs) chemical marshmallows.
1: (laughs) You're the best. Also, there was a swing set on that lot. Uh, on the set and they would come and they'd be on the swing set. And it was like, no, 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 this is work. You know, you're not, work doesn't mean going and being on a swing. I think I, being with child actors and they were good kids. they are Frankie, they were good kids, but I, children should not be gainfully employed. I think kids should be kids. You know, if you have, act, if you, if you have an ability as God knows Ron Howard did. I mean, brilliant, all those Yeah, kids. for sure. You know, you're going to have it when you're a grown-up. Right. So go ride your bike, go hang out, you know, and pursue that later. But this is, you will never be able to have a childhood back. And hang so, around else all day long and yeah. just... Go have a childhood.
0: Now, let me ask you this. How did your life change? I mean, your family... I would imagine, I mean, obviously you look different on the show than you do in real life, but it, but it's not like you were the mom for married with children who would, who could be unrecognizable in real life without the wig and the push-up bra. So how did you
1: handle that? By we, I had done the pilot, Brad did the pilot of West Wing and literally we were, and we were, um, We had we were living in a house in Los Feliz and putting a second floor on, which was you know the big very um, exciting, very exciting. And one day um, Fox called and said Malcolm had been picked up, and I thought, oh my God, can't believe that! I thought, well, you know what, we can we can I can get the sink for my bathroom that I really wanted. (laughs) Then the next day Westwing called and. Um, NBC called and West Wing had been picked up. And the next day the doctor called me I was pregnant.
0: That was a good week.
1: And I said, I wonder if our lives are going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy. You know, the person I, I had, George, George was, uh, well, I, I went up to seven months pregnant with um, that first season we filmed Malcolm. So Francis was home, but I was like, The nanny doesn't come until eight. I can't start at six in the morning. Who's going to be? And I I couldn't figure out, well, you got to figure this out. And I said, you have to send a PA from the set to come and sit here for two hours until the nanny shows up. Well, they did for a little while. And then it was like, but I, the thought of working as we had always done, but then having a kid involved was like, how do you, what if we're both, who's? so that took some getting used to and then um George was born Malcolm got uh, uh West Wing started in the fall and was such a huge success Malcolm started in January and was this huge success George was born and um and he is a huge success George is that kid it's pretty amazing is yeah something yeah but I thought since we were Mid, we came out in January, and we're going to go until the spring. So I thought if we got picked up, we would start again in the summer. No, no, no! It's a hit. We gotta. We're going back, and I said, I just had a baby at 43. I'm 30 pounds overweight, still with the baby. I was looking forward to this. go. <laughs> and it's gonna. <laughs> this is two months after he was born, and it's going to be a scene in a water park, so you have to be in a swimming suit. No. <laughs> well, that's when I learned the great thing of having a stand-in. Yeah. But Alana,
0: in fact, I, you look amazing according to the stand-in.
1: Yeah. I if only the stand-in
0: could be our life stand-in.
1: This, this girl, I wore, I had on support hose, my swimming suit, my one-piece swimming suit, and then I had to wear sneakers because support hose have like toes in them. It doesn't look like you're, it looks like you're wearing, you can't walk around. So I had then sneakers on and then a sarong wrapped around the swimming suit. Um, so no one was going to see an inch of me. And then they had the stand-in who had also just had twins. I was like, why is your body looking so good? <laughs> she would do squats. She would nurse. And nurse doing squats while she was nursing. And I thought, okay, but you look really good. And if you can make her look like me, you take her to the water park, you push her down that slide, you know, and um, I became the biggest. Anytime I, there was one episode I had to get wet. It was like seven in the morning and the neighbor turns the, and I was like, it's cold. I don't want to get wet. Can I have my stand in? Yeah. She wanted to work. (laughs) I was just,
0: you figured it out
1: you figured it out brian cranston on the other hand brian in this episode you're going to be covered with 25 pounds of bees okay brian in this episode we're going to cover you with blue paint you're going to be naked and you're going to throw yourself up against a canvas okay he (laughs) was just game for everything I was like, "Can we? Can I lie down in the scene?" I think she might be lying down on the couch in the scene. I was like the laziest friggin'. I, I think always- you are. You are underselling <laughs> your commitment.
0: I know. I understand that you understood I mean- <laughs> there was a way to get around certain things, but I do not believe for a second that uh, that getting out of doing stuff or being lazy is your well. True you MO. know,
1: like cold too. That. It was November and having to stand there and have a sprinkler turn on you over and over was like if you're filming it from behind just put let her dress her up like it was very generous
0: of you because she got those she got insurance it all she, she got insurance hours so that show i mean i just remember every award season there's you there's the cast nomination after nomination people love it and you when that was was that 7 years Incredible. So your kids' early childhoods are sort of yeah. in that Yeah, you know, and then I got, preg-
1: I got pregnant again with Mary Louise at the third season. Um, so now I have three children in, you know, in five years. Um, it's a I lot. I nursed all of them, doing that show, had a hip replacement, went through menopause. It was, and Brad is doing the West Wing and is just never home. Mm-hmm. I mean, the West Wing was a, um, a dream come true. I mean, it was, the writing was great. The actors were stimulating actors. I mean, I had Brian, and then I had a bunch of those kids. Right. Working 13-hour days, you know, and I said, I won't work past seven at night. You know, if I'm coming in at six, that's thir- I want to be with my kids. So I, I made certain demands that they were very um, they accommodated accommodating. They and Brad was never there. Yeah. I mean, he loved working. He loved Mm -hmm. that show. And, um, and then we would have hiatus and I would just, I never worked during a hiatus. I wanted to just go back to Connecticut and sit with the kids and he would take other jobs. Um, And seven years, as they say, you know, you, you grow apart. Mm -hmm. And I realized we, we had just very different ideas of how we wanted to spend the day. You know, I have um, liked acting and the work is great, but I I like being home. I like a home. I like being with my kids. I, and, um, you know, you 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 make your bed. I mean, I, I knew when we were dating his uh, devotion and his lack of sacrificing his career for anything. And he had said that to me and you think, oh no, come on, you know, you're going to, um, and he had great opportunities, so I can't really, um, but he signed on then for the next Aaron Sarkin show when West Wing was wrapping up, um, which I didn't know about, our agent told me. And I said, are you, ha-? I just couldn't, I mean, West Wing was, it's just, awesome. you know, he would get, uh, Aaron would rewrite scene three in the morning, the fax machine would go up and he'd stay up for hours memorizing that because he wanted to, you know, um, I just wasn't in that head and thought, mm, this is really, this is, this is, this is a crossroads and, um, a lot happened, but we, we stuck it out for, um, 4 years after those shows ended in 2006 and the they were their final episodes were on opposite each other you can't what? make this up right okay. <laughs> yeah and Crazy. i'm happy to say that our numbers were higher than theirs <laughs> um, there you go and um life continued and about 4 years after that it was just It was time to um get divorced which was so difficult because you know we were we had been so happy for so long we were both from wisconsin we we were but people evolve and grow and you really kind of set into the life you want and um when it's not shared there's not much you can do about it um and I did, I mean, as you were, I, I this, uh, close off our back, the charity, I had a great opportunity to go to India several times and countries in Tanzania and Rwanda, um, visiting these doctors in the hospitals and uh, that the charity was helping to support. And um, those are life-changing experiences. Seeing burn children who are burned and um, blind, Um sitting in a surgery, this was in Tanzania, where the children were born with cataracts. And if you, uh, watching the surgery, following the family, both kids, and then being with them and their parents when the bandages are taken off and the child sees for the first time, um, is just, I'm so grateful I had those opportunities. I, I don't think, any nothing in the world feels as good as being able to help a child in need, yeah. And you know, and this was these, these countries and these situations are so um biblically poor, yeah. Um, so that doing that for a while really kind of changed my life. And the, uh, the idea of you know, then getting divorced and the idea of what I really wanted to do with my life, um, um was altered.
0: I want you... I wanted to say, and, and of course, not to mention that after this, I read earlier, just sort of a, a handful of the great works and plays that you've been able to do now that your kids are a little older, yeah. but it seems to me that whether it's Alfred Molina or, or whoever it is that you are getting to work. We talked about Tony Shalhoub before we started recording, you're getting to work and choose to work with your friends. On incredible Alana, pieces, you
1: know, of, because of Do you know, as a mother, as a wife. By the way, when I found out you were married to that guy on Nurse Jackie, <laughs> oh my god! Oh my I god! You know, <laughs> talking about how you'd see people and go, "Who is that guy?" I didn't recognize it. I didn't like Deborah Hedwall. I wasn't. Him. I was right. like, "Who is that guy?" And then, I don't know, someone said, you know, he's married to Lana I thought, Lana you are. Then I saw him. He did a a play with um, Jessica Hecht. Um, Yeah. The uh, Last Kiss or The Kiss? Oh, man. Yeah. And he was good on TV as he is on stage. It was really. um, Stage kiss. Stage kiss. Give him my regard. I will. I will. I will. No. Having a life, having children and being part of a community and a school or all that, uh, all those, your priorities change Mm -hmm. and working on, um, uh, working just for the sake of work. And I, and I'm, I don't mean to be, you know, um, glib. I am so grateful that I am a Polish girl who has saved my, my nickels. Um, Um, before
0: we go, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I knew this was part of the job, but I'm going to ask you to share a little known fact about you with my listeners.
1: As if you haven't shared many little notes. I give and I give. I I know Um, you do. I know you do. I have never worn a thong underpants.
0: Listen to me. I have done almost 300 episodes and I will be hard pressed to find a better little known fact than that. So let's just stop while we are ahead. Jane Kaczmarek, you are a dream human. I love you so much. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
1: I'll see you when I'm back in town. All right.
0: I love okay. you, honey. Thank okay. you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you to Norma. Bye. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> One more thing so many of you have asked how do you donate to the podcast well it could not be easier just go to slash donations instructions are clearly laid out and i'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make but regardless i have loved love love making the previous 200 and something episodes for you i can't wait to make 200 more i wish you a beautiful day stay healthy be safe until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are Little Known Facts that now, you know. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa.